Week 8, Day 4 Let Everything Praise the Lord, Part 3 This is being read by Justin Redimer, the Men's Director of Men's Ministry at Three Crosses. Psalm 149, Verse 1 Praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of saints. Let Israel rejoice in him that made him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with the timbrel and the harp. For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the people, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute upon them the judgment written. This honor have all his saints. Praise ye the Lord. This week, we are concluding the Psalms, learning that God is deserving of our praise, no matter the circumstance. We are his subjects and his praises should be spoken communally. The proper place for our experience of faith is not a private personal one where we keep it to ourselves. Instead, we are called as subjects of the Lord Most High to praise him openly, especially among the body of those who believe. As the author of Hebrews reminds us, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Hebrews 10.25 And when we meet, may we praise his holy name. We see that the reason to praise God is that he is our king. Now to us, in 21st century America, the concept of a king toward whom we would extend our devotion is something politically alien. Might as well ask us to give an ephod of grain to the priest though Pastor Danny's baking skills might be put to excellent use were that the case. However, the best way to understand our relationship to God is through the idea of a political monarchy with him as the king. What does that mean for us? Do you think of yourself as a subject? Or have you fallen into the modern temptation to see yourself as the arbiter of your own truth? As children grafted onto the root of Abraham and adopted into God's family, we find ourselves as children of Zion, dancing and singing praises to the Lord. Why? Because he is our good king, who is mighty to save, fulfiller of promises. And this is the hope that we rest upon. The same hope that sustained the persecuted Christians in Rome, Felicity, and Germanicus. The same hope that sustained the apostles as they endured persecutions of many kinds. The hope that sustained the priests and missionaries bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. The hope that sustained many through slavery and torment. The Lord takes pleasure in his people, and he will beautify the meek in his salvation. And though we believe this fully, there is tension that exists both within our hearts and the author's heart. It's a tension that exists because of the reality that there is continual suffering and evil in the world. The reality that there are enemies who regularly inflict pain on the people of God. Those who want to see us suffer because of our faith or for other more mundane reasons. The neighbor who regularly plays loud music late at night. 
The co-worker who gossips and shares a secret you told her in confidence. The friend who betrays you with your spouse. The spouse who abandons you and your children. The employer who cuts your hours because you took time off to care for a dying relative. The child who is lured by drugs or sex or violence into endless cycles of sin, theft, deceit, betrayal, avarice, greed, usury, murder, rape. None of these seem to have disappeared despite the arrival of our King, Jesus, into the world. Certainly, the psalmist, writing from his vantage point, despite having experienced the Davidic kingdom and the subsequent expansion under Solomon, knows from experience that even the just king does not obliterate sin. Just look at David's life, his own betrayals, Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. Look at David's son, Absalom, the consummation with David's concubines before the city, the civil war, Solomon's questionable succession and eventual descent into pagan idolatry. Those two men were, as kings go, highly effective, and yet evil remained. The Philistines were never fully conquered. The Israelites would split the nation in enmity. The Egyptians, Babylonians, Assyrians would eventually crush first Israel and then Judah. And there are such enemies today. And yet, the king comes. When the king comes, all shall be made right. As we read in Revelation 21.4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And this must certainly include justice and divine retribution for the wrongs done. It is said that at the first council of Nicaea, when Constantine called the church leaders together from around the Roman world, they showed up in various states of brokenness, missing eyes, limbs, scarred by burns, physical symbols of the Roman persecutions. Their enemies had delighted in their suffering and torment. These enemies still exist today. People who delight in the downfall of the church and its leaders, those who seek to undermine and destroy the body of Christ, those who wish to have Christianity removed from all public spaces. Christ tells us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, but he does not say to stop hoping for justice. Because when the king comes, justice will flow down the mountains like a river. All those in power who misused what God had given them to use for good, who instead torment his people and fulfill their own selfish desires, will be bound and rewarded like the servant in the parable of the talents. In the end, they will be sent into a place of judgment and true justice, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. We wait on the king and praise him, knowing that surely he will make all things right, and we praise him for that which we know will come. We await his glory and triumph, against which the gates of hell itself cannot stand. As we reflect on our journey through the Psalms, I have a question. Why do you believe Jesus combines the ideas of final justice and praise? What might it look for you to enter into praise by recognizing God's ultimate justice? Justice.